Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Lutheran Church, and uh, my role here is discipleship pastor which essentially means uh, entering into membership and kind of everything that happens inside the church, I help shepherd and guide and oversee. We have lots of amazing volunteers and leaders who, who do all the different ministries and run all the different groups, all the different ministry teams and life groups that we have. And I, it's my joy to shepherd and to guide them as they move about um, and do those ministries and do the will of God in our church and in our community. And uh, so I'm, I'm in charge of connecting our congregation, you guys, to leadership opportunities, service opportunities, and volunteer opportunities, and discipleship opportunities. So a lot of my role here is inviting people to do things. And one of the things that happens almost every time I invite someone to lead something, I get almost the same response every single time. Anytime there's an opportunity for a ministry that I, that I think somebody would be good to run, or if I think somebody would be a good life group leader, anytime there's an opportunity to lead and I approach somebody and I say, hey, we want to start this group, we have this ministry, I think you'd be great at it, uh, would you be interested in helping lead this and helping facilitate this group or this life group? I get the same response almost every time, and it's this, oh, pastor, I don't know if I can do that. That's what I hear almost every time. Oh, pastor, I don't know if I can do that. That's what I hear. Now, I've been a pastor for six years, almost six years now, and I've been at three different churches over those six years, and what I have discovered um, in every congregation I've been a part of and every congregation I've seen is that our congregation is filled with people who feel like they're underqualified, like they're uneducated, like they're not worthy. And what I've seen in almost every church is that there's almost this like group of super Christians that includes the pastors and some ministry leaders and maybe it's the board, in our case it'd be the leadership team. And those are the people who can do things and all the normal Christians just don't feel like they have that opportunity or they have what they need to be able to do that. So there's this feeling of being unqualified, undereducated, and this is what I run into a lot as the discipleship pastor as the shepherd who's in charge of, of bringing people together with opportunities to volunteer and to lead and to do these type of things. And what I've noticed as I've been a pastor over these past six years that people come in week to week and they worship and they're faithful and they confess their sins, they believe in God, they say their prayers, they do their devotions, they live their lives well, but then there's always this haunting question. And maybe you have this question in your own life and maybe you've pushed it to the side or maybe it's really something that bothers you a lot. And it's this question of, am I doing enough? You know, you see all these other Christians that are out there and they seem to be doing more in the church. They seem to be more involved or leading more things or being on the leadership team or doing these other things. And you think, should I be doing that too? Am I a good enough Christian if I don't do those things? 
Or how can I know what God wants me to do if he wants me to do something like that? Or maybe this is the question that you have in your mind is that you see you know, these quote-unquote super-Christians, which don't exist, by the way. That's not true. Um, these quote-unquote super-Christians, and you think, is being a Christian mean that I have to behave like them and talk like them? and dress like them and act like them? Is that what being a Christian means? And there's always this unease of like not measuring up to what, uh, what we think God might have for us or what other people think that we should be doing. And uh, as your pastor, I love you guys. And what I want for you, it, it breaks my heart that people feel unqualified or undereducated. It breaks my heart that people don't feel like they're doing enough. Because as a pastor, my passion, the thing that gets me up in the morning is helping people and ushering them into all of the blessings that God has for you. Because scriptures are full of these incredible, um, mind-bending, unbelievable promises of peace, of patience, of joy, of confidence and discipline and health and purpose. There are all these amazing promises that God gives us, all these blessings that God promises us, and most of us don't feel blessed. And so this year, I'm really quite excited uh, because uh, this year, Pastor Ben has offered uh, me this opportunity, two sermons, a little short sermon series, uh, to kind of set the tone for discipleship this Year. So I want to lay some foundation for us over the next two weeks. And our theme for this year, our discipleship theme is the blessed life. Because I tell you what, you are blessed beyond imagine. There is so much interior blessing that God wants to give you, that God is offering you. And most of us walk through our lives just not tapping into it. Not trusting that God actually has those things for us. And so I want to lay the foundation here over these two weeks. So we're looking at this question of what does God have for us? What does God want me to do? And the nice thing is, is that Jesus answers that question actually very clearly. And he answers it here in Matthew 22. A lawyer comes up to Jesus and he asks him this question. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So this is a pretty normal thing for teachers, for rabbis to experience. People would come up to them and they would ask them this question. We have documents, teachings of other rabbis that do this exact same thing. Somebody would ask them, Rabbi, can you condense all of the scriptures, all of the prophets and the laws, can you condense them all down to one command? If God would only have us do one thing, what would that thing be? Or they would ask it like this, which is the greatest commandment? Which is almost the same question, just ask a little bit different. So I'm guessing Jesus was asked this a number of times. This is the one time that we have it recorded for us in the Gospels. And this is how he replies. He says two things. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus lays it out plainly here which is kind of uncharacteristic of Jesus because usually when he's asked a question, he answers with a question. Usually he, he likes to do some wordplay. He likes to draw people in and help them discover the truth for themselves. But here he just lays it out plain as day. He says there are two things that are important. Love God and love people. If you do these two things, all of the law 
all of the prophets, they are all fulfilled. So this is what God has for us. This is what it means to live with God, is to love God and to love others. So our life has two directions, is how I like to think about it. There's the vertical direction, how we deal with God, and there's the horizontal direction, how we deal with others. So over the next two weeks, we're going to take each of these directions in peace, and we're going to look at them and examine them. And today, we're going to look at the vertical direction. We're going to talk about what our relationship with God is like, how we can love God and how God loves us. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to be in Ephesians. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's this amazing letter. It's pretty short. This week, I invite you guys to read it. It'll take you less than an hour. Just read it from beginning to end. It's, it is this sprawling theological letter that is amazing and has some amazing promises. Um, so if you're going to read through it, t- take a little highlighter and highlight all the places that God has a promise. And you'll be really amazed. It's really, really incredible. I've been, I've been praying through and reading through Ephesians almost all uh, the back half of last year. So it's a really incredible letter. So this is where we're going to start, right in Ephesians 2. Paul's going to start talking about sin, and he's going to start talking about the past lives of the Ephesian believers. This is what he says. He says, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. So one of the main metaphors that Paul uses in the book, in the letter of Ephesians, is that of a path or a trail or a road. And we see that here. He says, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course, that word means road, the, the, the road of this world. So Paul says there's a road, there's a path, and that path leads to death. You were dead, and you were walking down this path of the world. And that way, that path is death. You were dead in your trespasses as you walked down this path. As I was studying this passage this week, I was reminded of my wife and I's honeymoon. Uh, Sarah and I got married almost seven years ago, and we went to Colorado for our honeymoon. We spent a little bit less than a week in Colorado. And we loved the mountains, we loved the outdoors, and we had a great time there. We rode bikes, we visited all the little mountain towns, we went on hikes, did that kind of thing. And we drove past this trailhead, and it was near the Copper Mountain, the resort that we were staying in, and we kept passing it, and we kept saying, man, we need to stop there and, and go on a hike on that trail. So one day, we, you know, we made the time, and we pulled in there, and we started walking down this trail, and there was this big main trail that you could follow that went up the mountain, and then there were all these smaller trails that kind of went off to the sides. And so, you know, Sarah and I, we, you know, we like the outdoors. We feel pretty comfortable. I was a scout when I was younger. So we're like, yeah, you know, we can, let's just go off and we'll, you know, we'll take one of these smaller trails. So we take one of these smaller trails and it kind of leads up the mountain past this beautiful pond. It was this great little hike. And at at one point, I'm pretty sure looking back now that the trail that we were on wasn't actually like man-made. I think it was probably like a game trail. So I'm guessing that it was probably for, you know, deer and that kind of stuff made that trail. Anyway, so we're hiking up this mountain, and we run across this little pile of bones with meat on it. And we think, hmm, if there's a dead animal here, if there are bones here and meat here, that probably means there's a predator here too. And so you know what we did? That way, that was the path of death. So we didn't know what was there. 
It could have been a bear. If it was a bear, we probably would have been okay. If it was a mountain lion, that probably would be a different, different thing. And so you know what we did? We turned around and we pretty much ran down that mountain back to that trailhead. We got out of there because that way, that path was a path of death. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. There's a path here in the world that leads to death. There's a path that is, in fact, death. And he says to the Ephesian believers and to us that you were dead when you were walking down this path. And this word here, dead, is really interesting. You know, I, I've been going to school for like seven years to be a pastor, right? I'm still in school. And you learn all the original languages, and it's really cool. You can mine all some, some rich meaning if you really know what the original Greek words are. And this word dead is really interesting. You know what it means? It means dead. It means like dead, dead. That's what it means. So Paul here, when he says you were dead, he doesn't mean physically dead, of course, but he means spiritually dead. And there's no cute little word here. This isn't really a metaphor. He's like, no, you were dead. And when Sarah and I ran across that little, uh, those bones with that meat, that carcass, you know what that carcass could do? Nothing. That carcass couldn't breathe. It couldn't move. It couldn't react. It could do nothing. That animal whatever it was, was dead. And in the same way that that animal was dead, we are spiritually dead outside of Christ. Without Jesus, we cannot trust God. Without Jesus, we are slaves to our sin. Without God, we are helpless and we are hopeless. Dead is dead is dead. And there is no hope for you if you are spiritually dead. Paul continues. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh. He's talking about the world here. Following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. We were dead. We were dead, dead. We were children of wrath. And then here's the good news. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Praise the Lord that even though we were dead, even though we are spiritually dead outside of Christ, God still loves us. We are dead, but Christ, but God loves us in Christ. So when we talk about this vertical direction of our life, when we talk about our relationship with God, in many ways, it's really a one-way street. Because you know what? Outside of God's grace for me, there's nothing I can do to impress God or to surprise God or to make him love me. I'm dead. There's nothing I can do. But God loves us anyway. So when it comes to these questions of am I doing enough, am I good enough, the hard answer is no. We are not good enough, but we are loved. We are not smart enough, but we are loved. We cannot do enough, but we are loved. We cannot be good enough employees or bosses, but we are loved. We cannot be good enough parents, but we are loved. We cannot be good enough friends or spouses our family members, but we are loved anyway. 
And it is God's love that makes us alive. It is God's love for us that changes us. Paul continues on with some of the implications. He says, and not only are we made alive, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on our behalf. He was risen and, uh, from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Paul tells us here in this passage that now, in Christ, we are also brought back to life and seated with him in Christ Jesus. So we are dead. There is nothing we can do. Dead is dead. We are the carcass sitting on the trail. But God has come and he has made us alive and now we live a new life and that new life is in Christ. It's not our life that we live anymore, but it's actually Christ's life that we live. So now it is Jesus who lives and reigns in us by the Holy Spirit. So the good news is you are not good enough, but Jesus is. You are not a good enough parent, but Jesus is. And he dwells within you. You are not... You cannot do enough, but Jesus does, and he lives within you. You are not smart enough, but Jesus is, and he lives within you. You are not a good enough employee or boss, but Jesus is, and now he lives in you and you in him. You are seated with him in the heavenly places. Our life in Christ is not our own. It's Jesus's. That means that we have access to all of the interior blessings that Jesus lived with. That's what, so Paul is saying here, earlier in Ephesians chapter one, he says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If we truly are in Christ, we have Christ's life. We have his spirit within us. That means we have access to all the peace and patience and love and joy and confidence and discipline and health and purpose that Jesus lived with. That's ours. That's a promise. It's not something that I earn. It's not something that I work toward. It's something that is given to me. And all I can do is say, thank you, Lord, and I put it on. I remind myself of these blessings. I hear the word. I remind myself of the word, and I put on Jesus. I put on Christ in his life, and I'm transformed into his likeness. And that's actually our mission here at New Life. Our mission statement is transformed hearts, transformed lives. Because we're not interested in people who are, who are, you know, who give all their money to us. We're interested in people who know Jesus and are living in the new creation. We're not interested in people who can show up and can, and can spend 40 hours a week here volunteering at different things. We're interested in people living in the new creation. We're interested in people living their Christ life with all the confidence and discipline and health and purpose that that includes. That's what we're about. And that's what God offers to us in Christ. So discipleship is not so much getting better as it is putting on Jesus. And so it's this day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, putting on Jesus as we become more like him in the way that he thinks, feels, and acts. It's this process of receiving more and more of Jesus. As we skip down to the end of this passage, this is what Paul says. He says, For we are what he has made us, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. And next week, we're going to talk about that horizontal direction. We're going to talk about these good works, how the Spirit empowers us to do good, good works for those around us. But it's this first part, this summation that he has here. He says, for we are what he has made us. We don't make ourselves. We don't work ourselves up. It is Christ that makes us. It is God who builds us up into Christ. It, this reminds me this week of uh, Sarah and I had this conversation. We have this, this beautiful antique um, in our home. It's really the only antique that we have. We were, we were just having a conversation about it this week. But it's a 1919 Edison phonograph. So it's a very, very old record player. And it's, a, it's really cool. You, you, know, you crank it up, and it has a diamond tip um, so that it can play the records. And there are these little singles that you get, and you get one on each side, and they're all these jaunty, kind of racist, early 1900s music, right? It's kind of fun. And it has this big horn in the bottom that you like to, to uh, change the volume. It has this ball that plunges down into it. and pull. It's a lot of fun. It's a really, really cool antique. We were talking about it this week, and the boys were enjoying listening to the music. And we started looking up, you know, because we have it and it's nice and it's, it's not a hand-me-down. It was just given to us by a congregation member at our last church. And so it takes up space in our house. We were like, maybe we could sell it. Maybe we could get some good money for it. And so we started looking up how much we could get for it. And, you know, it looks like we could probably get about 250 bucks for this phonograph. Now, this phonograph to Sarah and I is worth more than 250 bucks. If someone wanted to give us like 800 bucks, that would be a different story, Right? But 250 that's really not, that's not enough. It's worth more than $250 to us. So the thing is that that phonograph, the value of this antique, other people may see it as worth 250 bucks, but for our family, it's worth more. So it's actually more valuable than $250 because the value of something is not inherent in it. The value of something is how much someone is willing to pay to possess that. And Sarah and I are willing to eat that $250 or whatever we could get for it. We're willing to not get that in order to keep it. It's worth more than that for us. So that phonograph is worth more than $250 because we value it more than that. If you really, really want something and you dish out a lot of money for it, it's, that's how it gains value. Because the value is not inherent in something. It's how much you're willing to go, how far you're willing to go to possess the thing that it is. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. For we are what God has made us. We were dead. We are not good enough. But God has gone to such great lengths to call us his children. Throughout history, God has been humiliated by both the world and his own people. Both Israel and the church have humiliated God. He has been blasphemed. He has been betrayed. He has been looked down on all throughout history. When God came to us in Jesus, he was spit on, he was tortured, and he was brutalized and killed that's the length at which God will go. He will go the distance for us. And that makes us valuable. You know what? We may not be good enough, 
but God values us so much simply because he loves us. And he goes the distance to possess us and to transform us. He goes the distance to give us his Holy Spirit and to help us be transformed into Christ-likeness. He goes the distance simply because he wants that. And that makes us immeasurably valuable. We are so valuable in God's eyes because he has gone the distance for us. So this vertical direction, it's all God. It's a one-way street. God loves us and he serves us and he has condescended himself. He has come down to us in order to give us new life, in order to give us the Holy Spirit, in order to give us transformation. And we get to receive that. We get to receive the benefits. We get to receive the peace and the patience. We get to receive the confidence that he has for us. We get to receive all of those things simply because he gives them to us. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something we deserve but it's something that he has lavished upon us because of his grace.